Lynette, and this week I'll be trying my best to talk about my very interesting experience within the Monster High fandom. So many of you that follow me on Instagram might know that I like dolls, and not just makeup, and sometimes I slip my latest doll purchases into my IG stories. Now, I- I've set myself a very clear boundary and a rule that I just keep the doll stuff on my stories rather than just putting it in actual posts, just so I can keep my feed roughly focused in the beauty sphere. But the great thing about this podcast is that there is absolutely no limit to what I could talk about on here. I could talk about makeup, or music, or film, or TV, or my fiery anger towards Turks, or candy, or even dolls. And today, we're talking about dolls. Specifically, the first dolls I ever collected on my own, which were Monster High dolls. So part of me wants to try and hype this up as a this big episode, like almost a decade in the making, as that's how long it is I've been collecting Monster High dolls. I started in 2011. But I did recently put out an episode where I talk about old adverts from like 2006. So that episode technically has even more background to it. But this has a lot more personal background to this. And I still think that with nine years experience collecting and within the fandom, I've had a lot of different experiences and a lot of interesting stories. This is just going to be surrounding my involvement within the Monster High fandom. I'm not going to be sharing all of my doll-related exploits in this episode, because I want to do an episode later on which is about the bigger picture within doll collecting, particularly nowadays. And that was the episode that I was supposed to record first, but then I realised that that episode wouldn't make a great deal of sense if I didn't get into how it all began. And it all began with Monster High, so we'll be starting there. So, in this episode, I will give you the whole story about my life in the Monster High fandom. And by that, I don't just mean my life as a collector and a fan in my personal life, but also my other life within the fandom. I know I'm using a very strange choice of words when I'm saying that, but there is a very deliberate reason for that. It's going to make a lot more sense by the end of the episode. There will be twists. There will be shocks. There will be things that I talk about that might change your entire perception of me as a person. But what I love about this podcast is that when I get into a subject, I can just get everything on the table. And even though it might look a bit jumbled up, I'll try my best to convey it in an understandable way. Now I've explained how this is going to work, we can get onto the episode. I don't have any disclaimers this time around, which is a damn miracle, but... (laughs) Um, I guess there is one disclaimer, and that is if you were by any chance in the Monster High fandom when it was big, well, you might want to hold on to something. Because there are revelations. Well, there's one big revelation that I'm going to be talking about in depth for the first time in my life. And if you are not in the Monster High fandom around this time, then ignore all of that. (laughs) You'll just be getting a great story about my time in the fandom. But before all of that, we have to start at the beginning, and with the first time I ever heard about Monster High, and the slippery slope into fandom. First off, let's just introduce Monster High in a nutshell. It's a doll line made by famous toy company Mattel. And Monster High was Mattel's big gambit to try and get back the tween audience that would have historically outgrown their biggest and most famous doll line, Barbie. The line started development in 2007 and was created by Garrett Sander, who at the time worked in Mattel's packaging department. Over three years, he and a team of 20 worked on the doll line, but Mattel wasn't just planning on releasing a doll line. Monster High would be a fully-fledged franchise, something that Mattel didn't really do at the time. They just created toys and waited to see what happened. 
Or they'd make licensed toys for DC or Disney. But creating their own big franchise with a solid fictional universe wasn't really their mode of operation. And Monster High would be their way of taking a bold risk and not just playing it safe like they used to. So, Mattel wanted to launch Monster High not just as a doll line, but as an animated web series, a book series, and a full line of merchandise, including costumes. They even booked a booth at San Diego Comic Con. They wanted the launch of Monster High to be as high impact as possible, and in 2010, they launched the brand to resounding success. Now, the universe of Monster High is a pretty simple basis. The teenage children are famous monsters, initially starting off with the famous Universal Monsters, going to a high school made just for them. Now, there were different pieces of media within the franchise, even within just the first year, that provided different accounts of the universe and often contradicted each other. You have the web series, you have the profiles that came with the dolls, the diaries that came with the dolls, the first book series, which was quite different from the web series canon, and then a couple of other book series, and then eventually TV specials. But for this episode, we'll just go for the animated canon that was established, and also the canon established within the doll profiles, a little bit of dipping into the diaries, because they're pretty cool. But either way, the franchise began with the introduction of Frankie Stein. She's the daughter of Frankenstein's monster, and at the age of just 15 days old, she's enrolled at Monster High, where she meets her new girlfriends. Oh yeah, quick disclaimer, there's a lot of monster-themed puns in this franchise, so you can probably expect a few of them to pop up in this episode. So let's look at the initial cast lineup and how they were formed. So Frankie Stein is the main character. She's an optimistic and often naive student who's a bit clumsy and has limbs that occasionally fly off. Sometimes this is a blessing, sometimes this is a curse. She's powered by electricity and is just overall a huge sweetheart who believes that everyone's flaws make them unique. This is also a big mission statement of the line. Frankie soon meets Draculaura. She's the daughter of Dracula and she is a vegan vampire who faints at the sight of blood. She's bubbly and bright with a love of pink and is a natural romantic. Her best friend is Claudine Wolf, a werewolf who comes from a very large family. She's a fashionista who's business savvy and very protective of her friends. And when there's a full moon, her werewolf ability is going to overdrive and give her amazing physical capabilities. Frankie also becomes close friends with Laguna Blue. She's the daughter of the sea monster, presumed to be the creature from the Black Lagoon. She's a friendly ghoul with a tomboyish style and a skill for swimming and water volleyball. She's also an exchange student from Down Under. Down Under the Sea! <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to make that joke, it's a classic. But overall, she's definitely a more mellow character, and she makes a great confidant for Frankie. Initially, the ghoul's main adversary is Cleo Denial, who's the daughter of the mummy. She starts off as an antagonist, but she really warms to the ghouls over time, and becomes a part of the main group of ghoul friends, and also one of the funniest characters in the series, at least I think. She's a bit of a diva, and she prides herself on her royal heritage and popularity. But ultimately, she's very caring of her friends and her boyfriend, Deuce Gorgon, who's Medusa's son. Cleo and Deuce were first released together in a two-pack, but they got single releases later on. Out of the original cast, these six characters got the first dolls, but funnily enough, in the web series, there were seven main characters. And the one that didn't yet have a doll happened to be my favourite character of them all, and that is Gulia Yelps. So Gulia is a zombie girl with light blue hair and glasses. She's a genius and an introvert who's shy and bookish, but also the smartest ghoul at Monster High. 
She happens to be Cleo's best friend, and especially at the start of the series, a lot of Cleo's softer side was when she was with Gulia. She kind of helped her to be more than just a wallflower. Now, Gulia is a zombie, and it's established that zombies in this universe, at least most of them, can't speak English, so she just speaks in moans and groans, which is the language zombie. So, good news is that it wasn't too long until Gulia got her own doll, though I have to say, at the time, it felt like an eternity until she got the doll, and until I got her doll in particular. But the better news is that over the course of the next few years, a whole host of other characters were introduced into the universe, and many of them got their own dolls. You had characters like Abby Bomnipole, she was the daughter of the Abominable Snowman, and she became a mainstay within the franchise. And even characters from the diaries like Operetta and Jackson Jekyll started appearing in the web series and the doll line. We got new antagonists such as Torelai the Werecat and Cleo's sister Nephora. Plus we got to see members of Claudine's family like her older brother Claude who started dating Draculaura and her little sister Howleen. Even minor characters that had appeared in the web series as love interests such as Gil and Slomo would eventually get dolls in the coming years. And some more fan-demanded characters would be released as San Diego Comic-Con exclusives, like background characters Iris Klops and Scary Screams. Monster High also got a spin-off franchise, which was launched in a similar fashion to the original. Ever After High was a doll line centred around the children of famous fairy tale characters, and even featured Monster High character C.A. Cupid, who had transferred to the new school. There was a planned crossover film which would combine the two franchises, and it even got teased at the end of one of the Monster High movies. But it got cancelled. More on that later. But Monster High did have a very plentiful life, and it was pretty successful for a doll line. And guess who was there for all of that? Yep, I was. My first introduction to Monster High was through a website called Stardoll. And if you know what Stardoll is, you've just got a massive rush of nostalgia. You're welcome. And if you don't know what Stardoll is, it's a website where you could have your own virtual doll and buy clothes for them, decorate the houses, throw parties, and be a part of this community of fame, fashion, and friends. This included a large assortment of dress-up games for all sorts of celebrities. Like, so many freaking celebrities got dolls. I'm pretty sure there was a, a Jeffree Star dress-up doll. Yikes. But occasionally they'd make special dress-up games and fashion items that you could buy for your doll that were tied to a new piece of media. And it just so happened that the latest partnership was between Stardoll and Monster High around the time it launched. All seven of the original cast got their own dress-up game, and I'm pretty sure some countries got to also buy the outfits for the virtual dolls, but I don't think the UK site got those in at first, at least until the Dawn of the Dance series came out. And I thought that they were really cool. I saw the different characters and I got interested in the web series. But I didn't get fully invested in the line until I stumbled across one of the characters that I hadn't seen before. And that was Gulia Yelps, the one that didn't initially get a doll release. Now, a big part of why I was so invested in Monster High was because I really related to Gulia as a character. Now, one of the reasons was that I just thought she looked the coolest, but there's actually a lot more to it than that. The best example of how I related to Gulia comes from her original profile that was on the Monster High website and was on the doll box. Let me provide some quotes to illustrate my point a bit better. I love to read and learn new things. Books always fit into my schedule. When I was younger, this was all I'd do. I'd go down rabbit holes and just read into things endlessly, and I really loved reading books. Next one. I cannot function without a proper schedule, and I do not process last-minute changes very well. 
this was very true for me when I was younger, and honestly, it still kind of is. I really set my life around routines and making sure I could get things done methodically. Next quote. I am also extremely shy, which contributes to my lack of spontaneity. Well, this just hit me right in the face. Particularly in secondary school, which was when I was in the Monster High fandom, I found it very difficult to socialise, and often I felt like it was impossible to really relate to people. And finally, I actually have quite the affinity for rapidly prepared mass market cuisine. Translation, I like fast food. Now, I was and still am a picky eater, so I definitely found that fast food was an easy option where I could comfortably have something nice to eat, like chicken strips or fries. So, a lot of these quotes and points that I mentioned, not so much that last one, but definitely the two in the middle, resonated with me heavily, and a lot of other people too. Specifically, I and many other people read Gulia as autistic, and I, being autistic myself, was quite excited to see a character that looked really cool, was funny, and was likeable, and autistic too. When I was younger, I felt like there weren't really any positive examples of autistic characters that I related to, and to an extent, I still feel like there's a lack of positive representation for autistic characters, and what there is, there isn't much of it. It's always these children who no one can understand, and their parents are always the victims, it's just exhausting. Even the adults were always just kind of like weird man-children who were probably very smart, but just had no way of socialising properly. When you're an autistic person, particularly a younger one looking at that kind of representation, it's pretty bleak. At least it was for me. I thought that those types of characters were going to be my life. I was going to be completely socially inept, I was just going to be weird all my life, and that was incredibly disheartening. But then... I got into Monster High and I really connected with the character of Gulia, and I saw other people connect with her too. And I started to realise that a lot of the things I connected with were traits that I had. For example, her planning things out meticulously and the prospect of having a meltdown. Those were things that were all authentic to my experiences as an autistic person. But that wasn't her only trait. She wasn't just the autistic character that existed for the sole purpose of being autistic, like a lot of characters were. She could be funny. She was well-liked by people. She was often the one who would solve problems and save the day. She was even pretty stylish and had cool outfits and great hair. But all the while, she's still distinctly herself and distinctly autistic. She didn't change herself to be more like everyone else. She did all the amazing things that she'd do while still speaking in zombie and moving at her own pace. That, for me, was exactly the kind of role model I needed when I was younger. Now, I appreciate that this is a bit weird, being so excited over this character, but it is an important factor of how I got so invested in Monster High as a franchise. So, once San Diego Comic Con rolled around, we were treated with the announcement that early next year, they would finally be releasing the Gulia doll, and I was beyond excited. I liked the Monster High dolls overall, but I never fully committed to the idea of getting one until I saw the Gulia one. <laughs> so, I... Uh, it took a while for that doll to get released, let me tell you, especially to be released in the UK. And what also took a while was my parents being willing to let me have one of these. Around that time, they were hesitant about me getting a doll because, you know, boys aren't supposed to get dolls, right? Well, it was a process, but eventually they agreed that I could get the Gulia doll. They were a lot less enthused about me getting any of the other dolls, but they clocked onto the fact that I wasn't giving up on this one, so they helped me look for her. And it took months. <laughs> and I, I don't lie about that. <laughs> but eventually, I managed to get the original Gulia doll once she'd been put up on a UK-based market website. 
what am I saying, market <laughs> on a UK-based stockist website for a decent, not ridiculous price because scalpers were a big thing around that time and I wasn't going to fall into the trap of one of those, even at my young age. I also managed to get one of the boys, the Holt Hyde doll that had also come around around this time. And around the time that these two dolls had shipped, and that by the time I got them, strangely enough, I'd already gotten two other Monster High dolls. So I think at some point my parents just decided to stop resisting and submit to my newfound love for these dolls. So they called me when I was home one day. They were in Toys R Us back when that was a thing. <laughs> Rest in peace. And they'd seen the Gloom Beach Jackson Jekyll doll. I feel like my parents were a lot more open to me getting the boy dolls, which was kind of another entryway into getting more of the Monster High dolls. So they asked me if I wanted him, and I said yes. And, but I'd also asked to see if they had the Gloom Beach Claudine Wolf doll too, because I really liked that particular version of Claudine. And when they came home, lo and behold, they had both Jackson and Claudine in their swimwear outfits. I was incredibly excited to have them. Also, one of my cousins was helping out in the search for Ghoulia's doll around this time, because I believe she was in America around the time I was really looking for Ghoulia. And she wasn't able to find her, but she did get me the original Draculaura, which I was very excited about. And this was an original version where they hadn't quite figured out the hand mechanics, so her hands would occasionally fall off, but they were intended to be detachable for easier changing, so it wasn't a big deal. And they quickly changed the pegs on the hands of the next dolls to make them more secure. All of my other Monster Highs have these more secure hands. So, a plot to find the Ghoulia doll resulted in me getting five Monster High dolls, including Ghoulia. And this is where it all began. <laughs> so, not too long after that, a Smith's Toy Superstore opened quite close to where I live. So I got to go there, and I got to see the amazing sight of all the Monster High dolls stacked on their incredibly tall shelves. <laughs> the, the shelves at Smith's are still incredibly tall. <laughs> Some things never change. And I got the Gloom Beach Frankie Stein doll around the time that it opened. At another point in time, I got a hair stuck in my foot in the only way I'd let my parents get it out with a needle because I was pretty terrified of that. The only way I'd, I'd let my parents get it out was if they get me the Laguna Blue doll afterwards, which by the way, I was successful at. <laughs> and every so often, my parents would say, all right, you've had enough, this is the last one. And each time I'd be finding a workaround so I could get another one. The amount of different characters in Monster High and the large cast really contributed to this. I mean, you couldn't just have one because they were all interconnected with each other. You couldn't complete the main trio without Frankie. And if you had Ghoulia, you needed her best friend Cleo. And then if one of the characters' boyfriends got a doll, you just have to have that one so they could be together. And the, the boyfriend dolls were usually the hardest ones to find because Mattel would only put one boy in the case assortment and then end up taking them out of the case assortment for the next release. But I, I managed to find them, at least most of them. I waited just under two years before finding the first release of Slow-Mo, Ghoulia's Love Interest, in Bulgaria of all places. <laughs> the life of the collector was well underway. So let's fast forward to 2020, and I have uh, roughly around 50 of them. <laughs> yeah, it escalated all right. So it's safe to say that I've invested a lot of time, energy, and money mostly my parents' money, let's be honest, into Monster High. And while I don't buy them as much nowadays, collecting Monster High dolls helped me jump into other areas of the doll market, 
where I am now spending my own money on them instead. Yay. So, there's the doll side of the story. Now we need to get into the fandom side of the story. The Monster High fandom started up almost immediately after the dolls were released. This fandom was pretty diverse. It included the children who wanted to get them because they were this cool new thing that wasn't like anything else on the market, but it also included adults who were already collecting existing doll lines and found this new one pretty intriguing. In 2011, when I joined the fandom, I was in the former category. Nowadays, when I enter a doll fandom, I'm in the latter category. <laughs> I went full circle, which is pretty remarkable. Also, the Embrace Who You Are ethos of Monster High as a brand also attracted a lot of LGBT plus fans, and I was one of them, even though I did not know it at the time. <laughs> Plot twist! Right, first off, let me lay out a map of how I personally navigated the fandom. Around this time, I wasn't invested in the fandoms on Instagram or Twitter, if there even was a Monster High fandom on Twitter, and I never encountered any Facebook groups either, so the majority of fandom content lied on more specialist sites. And Tumblr, but I didn't really get into Tumblr until around 2013. So, no Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook, and no Tumblr. Yet. So where is this fandom exactly? I'd say the majority of my fandom activities spanned across three different types of website. The first type of website being the photo sharing website. I I've deliberately kept that singular because around 2010 to probably 2012, there was only one photo sharing website I really used, and that was Flickr. I saw a lot of really cool images of Monster High dolls on Flickr, often coming from adult collectors and those with more expertise in photography. People would take pictures of their hauls, their unboxed dolls all posed together on their stands, their unboxed dolls all posed together without their stands, however the hell they did that. <laughs> you had to really balance those dolls properly to get them to stand freely, and sometimes it wouldn't even be possible for some of the more oddly weighted ones, depending on the like, distribution. But with the power of patience, trial and error, probably quite a bit of photo editing, they got some of the best pictures that I could only dream of taking in my life. Little 12-year-old me, who had no idea the softboxes were a thing. Those were the days. But photos weren't the only piece of media that came out of this fandom, because the second type of website was the video sharing website. Some examples of the video sharing websites that I used to watch Monster High-centric videos on include YouTube, 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 and YouTube. Yes, such a diverse palette. But I enjoyed watching a lot of Monster High-centric videos, obviously the web series, but also people made stop-motion videos using dolls. And then also reviews, doll reviews were a big thing. And it really got me interested in getting one of these dolls myself. I mean, I didn't love all of the doll reviews I saw. If you have a bunch of kids online making videos, chances are some of them are going to be pretty annoying. And they were, <laughs> but there were good ones. In fact, I can actually pinpoint the first review that got me interested in Monster High doll reviews. It was a video from a girl named Angelica Nechi who was reviewing, what do you know, the Ghoulie Yelps doll. I liked her review of the doll because it was calming and fun rather than the obnoxious kid shouting at the camera that I was seeing a lot of the time. She did a couple of Monster High reviews that I enjoyed, and there was a couple of other channels that I followed with similar videos. I also followed quite a few adult reviewers who enjoyed the dolls and reviewed them. And most of the time, particularly nowadays, those are the people I follow, whether it's in video form or more commonly blogging about doll reviews. That being said, I still love my froggy stuff. You can't go wrong with her. <laughs> now, the last type of website I want to talk about is the forum. 
there were multiple forums where I could find people who talked about Monster High dolls. Not all of these forums were Monster High specific, but were instead toy specific or doll specific ones, which happened to have Monster High threads on them. The fan forum MLP Arena, which revolved mostly around discussions about the older generations of My Little Pony, had a pretty big Monster High thread, and I believe that that's where one of that's where one of the first big doll checklists came about. I remember constantly going back to that checklist to see what would be coming out next. <laughs> These threads must have got a lot of traction because a couple of years later, a spin-off forum opened, which was solely dedicated to Monster High and then later Ever After High centric discussion. This was called MH Arena. Another doll-centric fandom was Mycene Hangout, which was focused on discussion of the Mycene doll line, but also had a large section focused on the greater doll market. This was also more adult-focused and was a great place for more seasoned collectors. But there is one forum that I haven't yet talked about, and probably the most illustrious forum out of the ones that I visited around that time, and that is a little site called MonsterHighDolls.com. The reason I've left this last is because this was the first place where I really set foot into the fandom. It's somewhere where you could upload pictures, videos, create your own like profile page, join groups, and most notably talk about Monster High in the forums. As far as I could tell, it was the biggest Monster High-centric forum online, and though traffic has obviously dwindled due to there not being any new dolls coming out, the site still has a pretty decent community and is still kicking about. So, around 2011, I joined this site under the very descriptive username I Love Gulia. All one word, each first word capitalized with the I, lowercase like iPod. <laughs> I know. I was an incredibly creative child, wasn't I? <laughs> so, I started engaging in discussions about new Monster High dolls when that were coming out, especially around like San Diego Comic Con and Toy Fair. That was the best time for talking about new Monster High dolls coming out, but also in store sightings. We could also talk about the newest webisode or TV special that was posted online or the newest DVD. And I was also slowly dipping my toes into different areas of the fandom, ones that I hadn't yet. One big aspect of the fandom that I was starting to explore was the world of original characters or OCs. People created their own characters that they could imagine in the world of Monster High alongside Frankie Stein, Dracula, and Claudine Wolf. I was seeing some amazing work, and I thought to myself, I can do that too! And let me tell you, I did not do it as well as a lot of people. But I did it, and I created my first ever original character. And this is where we bid farewell to Isle of Gulia, and we meet Brianna Burton. So... We need to talk about Brianna Burton. She's a Monster High enthusiast who started off making original characters, became one of the top moderators on Monster High's fandom wiki, and even dabbled in creating her own franchises. She is also me. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> I told you this episode would have a twist. But, in short, across the span of 2011 to around 2019, I was pretty active within the Monster High fandom and the doll community in general. But I wasn't using the name Ari Lynette, and I wasn't using my legal name either. I was instead using the identity of Brianna Burton, a person who I made up, and does not exist, and never did exist. <laughs> when I started off in the fandom, I was unsure of myself, and I didn't really feel comfortable being my real-life self on the internet. I had not discovered my sexuality at the time, and generally I felt like those questions were things I wasn't ready for. 
So when I started making original characters, the first character I created kind of became my online alter ego. This character was named Brianna Beetlejuice, and she was the granddaughter of Beetlejuice. She had red hair and wore a lot of purple, and she looked absolutely nothing like Beetlejuice. Over the years, I tried to refine elements of her design and pave over contrivances, but generally she just looked like a regular girl with jaundice. I wasn't very good at creating interesting and visually unique characters back then, and it, it really showed with that first character and a, a lot of the ones that followed too. Over time, it became incredibly easy to just sink into that character and not have to actually be who I was behind the screen, which is absolutely pretty questionable. But as far as I'm concerned, I was just this kid getting carried away with a fantasy. And it just kind of snowballed over time. I started going by the name Brianna Burton on this site and on other sites too. I started posting pictures on Flickr, which weren't very good, but they got a bit better over time. Still didn't have the softbox. And I set up a Facebook account that was the most obvious fake account in the world. And somehow I thought that would fly. <laughs> I even had a YouTube channel where I started reviewing dolls myself. And then puberty happened and I wasn't able to convincingly do the voice anymore. So I had to stop doing those videos. <laughs> Quick note, I never ever used a real picture of a real person on any of these accounts. I always used one of my drawings or one of the pieces of art that I've made as the profile picture. So it was never, never got any real faces involved. And also a little fun piece of trivia, I thought that if I spoke an American accent, then my voice when I was doing videos would be more convincing, despite the fact that I openly talked about being based in the UK. My reason for doing this, that I told people, was that I was just putting it on for fun. And I mean, that wasn't wrong, but all of my experiences with collecting dolls, with creating characters, with any details I told people through this account, these were all real details. Where I came from was real, I didn't give up my address online. I mean, even I knew that wasn't right. What I liked around that time was all real, at least what I thought was real at the time, since I was still discovering who I was. The only thing I ever lied about was my name and my gender, because it was a lot easier to pretend to be a girl in the fandom without having any questions brought up that I wasn't ready to encounter. I started off as a bit of a talentless underdog, let's just call it that. I was rather dramatic, and nowhere near as mature as I thought I was. At one point, I almost got banned from MonsterHighDolls.com because I got caught up in a spamming incident, so I left the site in shame for two years. I didn't even get properly banned. The mere concept of a banning threat just scared me off. I know, very tough. But I did have another place where I could express my creativity, if you can even call it that, and that was the Monster High Fandom Wiki. It was a wiki that used the Wikia platform, which I think is now fandom, but I it used that platform and I used to post my characters in their various forms on there. I'd expanded my cast of characters into the 20s and 30s, far too many characters who were barely developed, Though I was proud of a few of them, but I don't think any of them really hold up today. It, they aren't really that good, if I'm honest. So a few months after I properly established my presence on the wiki, it became obvious to a lot of users on there that there was a problem with moderation. More specifically, a lack of it. Now, I can't remember the exact details of how it happened, but a chain of events occurred and I became the lead admin on the wiki. And honestly, me looking back at that, I'm not sure how that happened, because I don't remember. But also, once you put it in perspective, having the lead administrator of a wiki be someone pretending to be someone else that doesn't exist, 
it, it, to me, that just looks like a major red flag. And the, the thought of that makes me really uncomfortable, which would just be a thought if I was just observing it. But like, I did that. I was that admin that wasn't honest about themselves around fellow children. <laughs> what the hell was I doing? But I like to think that I was a decent admin despite the circumstances. Oh God, this is, this is a, a real rabbit hole of guilt. But I felt like I was a kind and affirming figure of authority as I'd been in the fandom for a few years at this point, albeit one that was not at all qualified to do so. <laughs> Recurring theme. I think that I lasted around two years in the role, and then I dipped out and went back a few times, but there was a good period of time where I was a mainstay on the wiki. I saw a lot of different things happen on there. <laughs> there were a lot of really awesome users on there, young and old, who were creating characters and having a lot of fun within this community. There were also some users that, let's just say, didn't want to play nice. And I was even the target of harassment from one of these users. This thought that I had plagiarised one of their characters and they were going to get revenge on me. Which I didn't. Even back then, I wasn't enough of a clown to steal people's characters because I wanted to create my own stuff. And I was able to prove my innocence pretty quickly. There was also one user that was initially nice, but just one day snapped and started vandalising people's character pages, including a few of mine. And they actually were involved in this kind of stuff a few times. There was quite a few times where it was like a couple of months gap or even like a year gap between them coming back in an alt. This was one of the big reasons why I had to come back a few years after stepping down. But eventually I stopped making and developing the original characters because I felt like the ones I'd made weren't salvageable anymore. And I was just ready to move on from them. So... What I did instead was I made my own quote-unquote franchises where I could make a bunch of characters and a whole universe around them. This is still something I enjoy doing, but I don't really do it anymore. These even went through a couple of different reboots and different versions. One of them was all about a girl band, another one was about a magical university. That one I quite enjoyed. These were quite a bit better than my efforts making original characters, but I still don't think they really hold up, at least without significant restructuring. And you're probably wondering, how many people were interested in these new franchises I was trying to make happen? Oh yeah, nobody. <laughs> I was making all of these characters and different content for absolutely nobody but myself. It's a bit sad, really. That being said, this and the earlier development of my OCs for Monster High really helped me to develop my art skills and my character development skills and my everything skills, really. So I can't exactly call my work under Brianna Burton as something I'm ashamed of because I think that that's a pretty cutthroat attitude to have about something slightly cringy and unpolished. I mean, like the fiction side of it that I did where I was younger. It did help me improve my work, and it definitely made me more willing to take criticism and just generally mature as a person. That being said, I definitely feel uncomfortable with the way that I handled the concealing of my identity. Over the years, I had a lot of thoughts about how I'd talk about all of this, and at one point I was planning to admit to who I really was when I was still active as Brianna Burton. This never happened, and over time I just gradually lessened my presence on the accounts, and I just went on to other endeavours such as actually doing content as myself, like making beauty-centric content for my YouTube channel, posting my palette designs on Instagram, and even doing this podcast. Like, it became such an easy thing to just drift away from the Brianna Burton accounts and that identity, not just because my interests were changing or I wanted to try something new, 
but because the landscape that I entered was a very different one to the landscape I was living in now. For two reasons. Firstly, because I discovered my sexuality and began to be a lot more comfortable with being myself online, and I was ready to be myself online. And secondly, because something big was happening to Monster High, and this would eventually and unsurprisingly lead to its downfall. So in this episode, I've talked about events covering 2011 to around mid-2016, and the stuff that happened from 2016 onwards is what people like to call the reboot era. So... Let's explain the reboot of Monster High. Monster High got a reboot in 2016, which was done to make it more palatable to younger audiences. The outfits became more simplified, the faces were made cuter and less mature, many of the more visually intimidating characters were nixed in favour of the more light and fluffy ones. This reboot featured Frankie Stein, Jackie Laura, Claudine Wolf, Cleo Denial, and Laguna Blue, but sadly my favourite character was not involved in the reboot. Ghoulia Yelps didn't appear at all in this era, aside from a collector's exclusive pack of 2017, and a pack of emoji stickers for iMessage, which I still have. <laughs> Around this time, Garrett Sander left Mattel and therefore didn't work on the majority of the reboot. He works for Moose Toys now, and he's doing pretty well there. He's making new lines like Capsule Chicks and Fail Fix. Oh, and that crossover movie with Ever After High, that was off the table. I'll probably make a separate episode about how Mattel decided to completely torpedo Ever After High because they lost the license to making Disney princess dolls. Ah, fun times. But back to the Monster High reboot. Because of the visual changes to the dolls and the step down in quality, the fans reacted pretty badly to the reboot. Actually, no, there was fury. <laughs> Let's be real. Don't get me wrong, there were good things about it, like them trying out new animation styles, introducing a new villain named Monica Decay, who was really cool and I think could have even fit really well into the original Monster High. And overall it was just nice to have a change. I felt like Monster High had settled into this too comfortable routine over the years of releasing a movie where the ghouls became mermaids or ghosts or fused together or something, and then have like four new characters that would never appear again. So. It was nice to have a bit of a change in routine, but this was not a good change, especially not in the long run, because there are a lot of bad things about the reboot. The quality went downhill, the rich development of the series was retconned in favour of an inferior, more basic storyline, we didn't get new doll diaries, and overall, the whole franchise just felt a lot less exciting than it was in its golden era. And this meant that eventually they just stopped making the dolls altogether, and now the line is basically done. The reboot and the gradual discontinuation of Monster High also led to the dissolution of most of the fandom. There are still people who talk about it and are on the forums, many of which are rallying for a comeback, but it's nowhere near as big as it used to be. A lot of the people who collected the dolls and were involved in the fandom simply moved on to other doll communities. For a while, I was in this camp. I started getting involved in other doll lines like Project MC Squared, Barbie, and Descendants, and to this day, I'm still buying dolls, though less than I used to, because I don't have very much space nowadays. <laughs> Yet I still keep buying them. Wow, the perils of collecting. And over time, I just posted less about what I was doing. My collecting became a lot less about engaging in a community, because, you know, you can engage in a community without buying stuff. And it became more about me just collecting things I liked. I left the Monster High fandom with a lot more confidence and validation than I ever had beforehand. And though I'd say that part of my life is in the past, it's definitely had an impact on me. 
there's a reason I do Monster Mondays on my Instagram every week. And that's because I've been inspired by Monster High for almost a decade. And I wanted to honour that. I've heard a lot of people speculate about the future of Monster High. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of people online, particularly on Instagram, have been rallying for a Monster High comeback. There have even been listings found of two horror-themed collector's edition dolls, though they were at one point cancelled and then uncancelled. Either way, there's a lot of demand for the return of Monster High and it hasn't gone unnoticed. I have a pretty simple opinion on all of this, and this might sound a bit harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's amazing that people are so enthusiastic about Monster High, and that's an enthusiasm I share, I continue to share, and I have shared for the longest time. But the fact is, times change. The doll market has evolved, and it will continue to evolve, and other than a couple of household name lines like Barbie and Bratz, it's rare that companies ever really want to go backwards. It's always about the big new thing or the next method of evolution for brands like Barbie or My Little Pony, who have gone through reboots and revamps successfully. Monster High didn't make it past that first reboot, and as much as it would be great to see them return to that original style of dolls, it's a different world now. Monster High arrived at the perfect time in 2010, when there was demand for something new and innovative in the doll world. It received exceptional success and numerous copycats. But I don't think they could pull off that same effect nowadays. And a big reason for that is that Mattel has been really stagnating. They aren't really innovating a lot in the doll world like other companies are doing. Aside from their gender-neutral, creatable world line, which, by the way, I absolutely love that line, protect it with all of my heart. But that's a different kind of innovation. And a lot of other companies are innovating in more effective ways. Like, Monster High could absolutely go up against modern-day Barbie, but could it go up against, say, LOL Surprise? I don't think so. Monster High was amazing, but it was also a thing of its time, like Bratz was. So I think the best way for fans to carry on in the fandom is to appreciate what's there already and be nostalgic over the things that made Monster High what it was. Not trying to drum up false hope of it coming back, because frankly, I don't think it ever will. As far as I'm concerned, the future of Monster High is in nostalgia, not new releases. So, that's what I see for the future of Monster High, but what about the future of Brianna Burton? Well, to put it simply, she's retired. I feel absolutely no need to continue creating content under that identity, because nowadays I feel comfortable posting and creating content as myself. In terms of artwork, like the original characters or the original franchises I made, I don't think that's necessarily over forever. If I got back into making artwork, which is really a matter of me not being a lazy ass and convincing myself to actually draw something, then I'd be up for revisiting that stuff. I'd love to remake some of the original characters, but do them in a more modern, better way. I'd even love to redo the original franchises that I made, but do them from the perspective of 2020 me. Any of that stuff, if that ever happens, which I don't know if it even will, will be posted as me. Brianna Burton's had her day. It's time for Ari Lynette to do the work. One last thing before I head off. I would like to formally apologise for anyone who was misled by what I did in the fandom. Though my time as Brianna Burton helped me mature and build my skills, I can also acknowledge that it was very wrong of me to mislead people into thinking I was someone else. Especially as I got older, it became a lot less cute and endearing for me to put up a front of this person that didn't exist. Even if I was being honest about my age and where I lived. Regardless of what I was thinking when I started doing that all those years ago, I see now that there was something incredibly problematic about that. And yes, I'm using the word problematic because if I was looking at all of that stuff from an outside perspective, 
I'd absolutely see a problem with it. Now, I've always wanted to keep my online presence separate from my personal life. And to this day, I still do. I use Ari Lynette as my name for all of my content nowadays so that I can keep it out of the way for my extended family who might not get what I do. And also to not incriminate myself to potential employers because, you know, they like to go around the internet doing background checks. But I am being my most authentic self on these accounts. On my Instagram now, on my YouTube now, on my Twitter now, and on this podcast. And the best thing about it is that I don't have to pretend to be someone else. And I'm happy I don't have to do that anymore. I am happy that my time as Brianna Burton is in the past. And it's going to stay like that. Well, that was an arc. So that was a very tumultuous episode of this podcast. I appreciate that it was one it was a bit of a roller coaster. And if you enjoyed it, which I hope you did, because I consider this to be quite the adventure, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you want to leave a review, you can do that depending on the platform, or if not, you can share it to your socials, if you want to. I'm assuming more platforms have a share button, even if they don't have reviews. (laughs) And of course, you can check out my social media accounts, my Twitter, my Instagram, my YouTube channel, all mine, where I actually show my face like a normal person, and I even do videos on them where I'm showing my face and not just doing voiceover. I hope you like those ones, because those are actually real. (laughs) We love progress. If you have your own opinions about Monster High, or the fandom, or uh, my rather interesting life in the fandom, let's call it that, come talk to me about it. I haven't talked about this with anyone for almost a decade, and I'm kind of hoping people want to talk about it, because I've been craving a conversation about the whole thing. Because it's a lot, and I like to think it's at least slightly exciting. But either way, thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the support. And remember, life is hard, but all you can do is try your best. See you next time.